Okay, shalom, and this is uh, this week's class uh, titled Human Feelings, Experiencing Our Divine Image. So uh, how about starting with a quote, a quote from Anne Lamott. I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. Let's say that again. I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. What an amazing quote. This human obsession with self expresses itself very much so in our relationships with others, be they with our family, be they with uh, friends, or even with God. Let's take this one step deeper. The heart of any relationship is our capacity of having feelings. Thus, in essence, this obsession with self really affects our arena of emotions, um, love, fear, and compassion. If we're all obsessed with ourselves, then all our feelings are always focusing just about ourselves, ourselves, ourselves. In this lecture, we're going to examine how we can break free from our bondage of self, in which our obsession with self dominates our each and every thought. How do we break free of that? How is it not all about me all the time? This lecture is based primarily on a mimer, a teaching of the Rebbe delivered on the Shabbos in 1968, exploring what it means to love God and to fear God. So let's start with uh, something interesting. Feelings for God. When we think of our relationship with God, many of us will first and foremost think of the do's and the don'ts. Isn't that what our relationship with God is all about? God tells us what we must do. God tells us what we can't do. God tells us what we could do. It's all about the do's and the don'ts. Primarily, the 248 positive commandments, thou shall, the do's. And then there's the 365 prohibitions where God tells us the don'ts, thou shall not. And that's basically what we think about when we talk about our relationship with God. We talk about our do's and our don'ts. But in this week's Torah portion, I want to read to you a verse, and I quote, The Atta Yisrael, and now, O Israel, what does the God your God demand of you? Only to fear God your God, and then it goes on to say, to love him. So here we're being commanded not just about the do's and the don'ts. Here we're actually being commanded about having feelings for God. Love God. Fear God. So here we're talking about a whole new dimension. More than that, we're actually taught that, in Tanya it says, that the foundation, the most necessary foundation to all our 248 do's is to love God. Without this foundation, we don't do things for God. So too, the foundation of our heeding, the, the 365 prohibitions, is likewise all about the fear of God. That's a necessary foundation. If we don't fear God at some level, then we don't worry about doing what he told us not to do. So feelings really is at the heart of the relationship between us and God to love God and to fear God. Which leads us to a question of Rabdov Ber of Mazrich, known as the Mazrich Maggit. He asked, how can there be a commandment on a feeling of the heart? You can command me what to think, you can command me what to say, you can command me what to do, what not to do, what not to think, what not to say. But how do you command the feeling of the heart? Love me. How does one command that? How can God command that? And the answer is, 
that the commandment to love God your God is actually a commandment to know God, to understand God, and to meditate about God. Primarily, the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God, the goodness of God, the justice of God, the compassion of God. It's only through knowing this and meditating, concentrating, concentrating on this that we can give birth to feelings. Thus, the commandment has two parts. There's the journey, the action of the commandment is over here. The destiny and fulfillment of the commandment is over here in the heart. And thus what we glean from this teaching is that the way to loving God is through the mind. We need to learn, know, meditate, concentrate. Only that we can't study it as an academic study because we'll never have feelings in the heart. But we need to study it in a personal level. We're talking about my God, what he does for me. And then the journey of the mind will end up in the heart. Thus the creation of the feeling is in the brain. The birth of the feeling is in the heart. Another, another, um, another concept over here we can understand. If, under, if love and fear, but let's talk about love for a moment. If it's all about the feeling in the heart depends upon the thinking of the mind, can you imagine now what obsessing with self does to love when it's all about me? Thus we understand now even more importantly to have any feelings for God, any feelings, true feelings, we need to break free of the bondage of self to stop being so obsessed with me. Let's go on and, and go a little further. Actually, in last week's Torah portion, we talk about loving God in three levels. Over there, we talk about God, to love God your God with all your might, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So over here in this week's Torah portion, as we'll soon see, we talk about loving God with all your heart and with all your soul. It doesn't say with all your might. But over there, it talks about loving God with all your might, your heart, your soul, and your might. Now the question we're going to have to understand is, number one, what does it mean to love God with all your heart? And then there's a different love, love God with all your soul. What does that mean? And then we need to understand why it is that in this Torah portion, where it talks about loving God, the second portion of the Shema, it leaves out the with all your might. Now, with that being said, Let's move on to one more introduction. And this comes from a Talmudic teaching upon a verse in our Torah portion. The verse says, Vi'ata Yisrael, the one I mentioned to you before, and now, O Israel, what is God asking already from you but to fear God and to love God? And goes on. Here's a teaching. It is taught that Rab Meir would say, I'm quoting to you from the Talmud, a person is obligated to recite 100 blessings every day, as it is stated in the verse, and now Israel, what? The word in Hebrew for what is ma. What does God, your God, require of you? 
Now, Rashi says, well, how do you know from there that you have to make 100 blessings? So he says that there's an interesting tradition. We have it many times in the Talmud. It's called Al-Tikri. What that means is that there is the written tradition and there's the tradition how to read it. You don't always read the word the way it's written. We have it clearly in the Torah many a times. Rashi says that Rabmeya had this tradition that when it comes to this verse, Va'at Yisrael, Ma Hashem Lekecha, and now, O Israel, what? Ma? He says, no, it's written Ma, but it's read as Me'a. Me'a is a hundred. The difference between Ma and Me'a is in Hebrew, Ma has a Mem and a He, and Me'a, you put an Aleph in between, Mem, Aleph, He. And thus he says, what is it that God asks from you? Maya, make a hundred blessings a day. Now, taking Rabbi Meir's teaching, let's go back to what the verse is saying. So the verse is talking about loving God and fearing God. And Rabbi Meir is telling us that the verse is talking about making a hundred blessings a day. So really what Rabbi Meir is telling us, that if we can make a hundred blessings a day, we will experience loving God. Now, before I go further with this uh, lecture, which we need to understand what's about blessings, what's about a hundred blessings, what is it about blessings that make us bring love, I want to just parenthetically, not even my notes, but I want to just share parenthetically, if a blessing means gratitude, then it's very simple. Gratitude leads to love. When we only know God, when we want to fetch, it's not fear, it's going to be hard to have love for God. But when we connect with God, not about just God, my Hanukkah wish list, or Hakam, or it isn't fear, but rather every single day, we have a hundred blessings. Thank you, God, for the food. Thank you, God, for the clothes. Thank you, God, for the power of sight. Thank you for God. Then blessings lead to gratitude. That's the practical level. We want to talk about the mystical level. So now let's start the lecture. So as you know, I always start off with a uh, list of mystical concepts that we're going to explain briefly, and through that, get back to the original topic. So here is the list. Number one, what is a blessing all about? Mystically speaking, what is that? Number two, encompassing and permeating. We'll talk about two different levels of divine light. Number three, what does it mean to love God with all your heart, to love God with all your soul? What are those two loves? Number four, introducing the Aleph. The Ma into Mea is with the Aleph. Ma or Mea. And then lastly, the Yechida love versus the essence of Yechida. And now let the amazement of Hasidus begin. So let's start. What is a blessing? To understand Rabbi Meir's teaching in the Talmud about the hundred blessings, we'll need to understand what is the mystical concept of making a blessing. And this is actually based on a verse that comes from the book of Psalms. And it says, Baruch Hashem olam ada olam, amen amen." Now, this means blessed is God, God of Israel, from all times past and to all times to come. Amen amen. Now, this translation is correct because the word olam, as in the word olam va'ed, means forever. But really the word olam means world. Now let's read the verse in its literal translation. And then it would mean, it would read as, Blessed is God, the God of Israel, from the world to the world, amen 
and Amen. This world, this verse is talking about, according to Kabbalah, bringing the presence of God, Baruch Hashem, bringing the presence of God, Mina Olam Olam, from one world to another world. What are these two worlds? The mystical meaning is that we blessing is to draw God from the hidden worlds to the revealed world. What does that mean? What does that mean? So before we get mystical, let's get practical. Let's talk about you're making a blessing on, you're about to eat an apple. You're going to make a blessing, Bore Priha Eitz. What is that blessing doing? What it's doing is, it's bringing to us the conscientiousness of the presence of God. I mean, why would I make a blessing to God for this apple? I worked, I worked very hard, I earned my money, I went to the store, and I bought this red delicious apple. That would be before we make a blessing. And thus, God's presence is hidden. I don't see God in the picture. What does the verse in this week's Torah portion say? Be careful lest when you're successful you begin to say, my brilliance and my might brought me this success. So before we make a blessing, it's in the hidden world. God's presence is hidden. When I make a blessing, what am I saying? I'm being conscious of God's presence and that everything I have and everything I own and everything I experience is thanks to God. Thank you, God. Thus, the simple explanation of how a blessing brings God from the hidden world to the revealed world. That's just simple. Now let's get into the mystical. So, let's talk about the name of God. Baruch Hashem le'olam, min ha'olam olam. blessed be God, but God over here has the ineffable tetragrammaton name. By the way, just forget the fancy words. Ineffable means the unpronounceable, you can't say it, and tetragrammaton means the four-letter name. So, the ineffable tetragrammaton, which is the essence name of God, we pronounce it as A-D-O-N-A-I, I don't want to say it, uh, we don't say God's name in vain. But that's what we pronounce it because we don't know how to pronounce it correctly. So this name, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He, has two layers. Thus, in the beginning of the 13 attributes of mercy, which we're going to start soon as we're getting closer to the high holidays, and we do Slichot, we sing this song. Maybe you remember it. Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum, Bechanon. The first two words was Hashem, Hashem which is the ineffable tetragrammaton twice. Why do we say it twice? Because there's two realms. There is what we call the Havaya de Le'ela, the upper name of God, and then there's the lower name of God. Thus, on a mystical level, we talk about bringing the Baruch Hashem to bless, to bring the name of God, Min HaOlam, Ad HaOlam, means from the higher to the lower. So now it's mystical, but we're lining up the components here, and we'll see how it all makes sense. Okay, so now what we're talking about is that we are to bring into the lower ineffable tetragrammaton, into the revealed worlds, the presence of God the way it exists in the hidden worlds. What does that mean? Again, let's get practical. In order to get practical, let's go to our next mystical concept, which is encompassing and permeating. When we talk about the two levels of the ineffable tetragrammaton, 
for this class right now, we're going to follow the teachings that talk about it as two forms of God's light. So God's light shines in two ways. There is the circular, infinite, encompassing light. And then there is the linear, finite, permeating light. What is the difference between these two lights? Let's not get scared of the big words. Let's really allow me just to make it so demystified. Circular, infinite, encompassing is all saying one thing. It's all saying that it's way too infinite to be absorbed by creation. And thus, instead of entering inside, permeating and being absorbed, it is encompassing in a circular fashion. And within this encompassing, it's circular, not linear, so everything is equally surrounded. Just plain and simple. If I'm going to put water into a eight ounce cup, I can only put eight ounces of water into the cup. But if I throw the cup into the ocean, the ocean is infinitely bigger than eight ounces. On top of that, it makes no difference to the ocean whether you put an eight ounce cup, a 12 ounce mug, or a barrel. It doesn't make a difference because it circles it all the same. So when we talk about the circular, infinite, encompassing light, it sounds so Kabbalistic, keep it simple. It means that it's way too infinite to permeate and be absorbed. It can only encompass. Thus, it's called hidden because it is elusive, not elusive. Now, let's talk about the next light. When we talk about the linear, finite, and permeating light, once again, those three things mean the same thing. Linear, finite, permeating. What it means is that it is finite and thus can understand and be appreciated in the capacity of limitations. And thus it's linear where the top is bigger and the bottom is smaller. And thus every creation, every finite creature will absorb from this linear light at its place of its capacity. The angels will be absorbing from the top of the light while the physical body will be absorbing from the bottom of the light. But what happens is it's absorbed, it's knowable. I can grasp it. Thus, this is called revealed. So now we're talking about the circular light, the infinite circular light is what we call the hidden worlds, the higher, the upper name of God, while the linear finite permeating light is what we're going to call the revealed worlds. We're going to call it the lower ineffable tetragrammaton. Okay? Now, what are we saying here? To make a blessing is to bring the infinite and the abstract into the finite and the pragmatic. Now we have to understand what does that mean and how does this affect us in the practical life? It's all wonderful when we get Kabbalistic, but if it's not going to help us change our life, it's not what Kabbalah is meant to do. So how do we take this practically in our life? For that, we're going to go to our next concept, which is the two loves, with all your heart and with all your soul. What is the difference between with all your heart and with all your soul? Well, practically speaking, it's very simple. With all your heart means with your emotions, with your feelings. With all your soul means with the intellects and your feelings. So our souls have each 10 faculties, 
three intellects, seven emotions. If I only love God with all my heart, I'm only feeling God in my emotions. If I'm loving God with all my soul, I'm also feeling my love for God with the intellects. Now, on a practical level and on a mystical level, but I want to also focus on the practical level, intellects are hidden while feelings are revealed. How does that work? How that works is very simple. Number one, it's easier to tell what a person's feeling, he's more expressive than what he's thinking. But let's talk about it on a, on a more simple level. In our life, what is more dominant? What causes reaction? Knowledge or feelings? The answer is feelings. To know is not to be. We don't become because we know. We don't react because we know. We can know that smoking is bad, but we're not going to stop smoking. What happens if we know someone that, God forbid, had lung cancer because of smoking and there's a fear, it hit close to home, we stop smoking. Feelings, we do for love what we don't do for the knowledge of what's right and wrong. So the intellects are more hidden while the feelings are more revealed. So now we're understanding that with all your soul talks about the hidden because it includes the intellects, while with all your heart talks about the revealed. It's talking about the emotions. Let's get more practical, okay? So the simple question is that we quoted from the great Masricha Magid that all emotions are born, are created in the brain, born in the heart but created in the brain. I love because I understand, I feel, I know, and I personalize what I know. I know that you're good, it's personal to me, I love you. Um, I know that you can be dangerous and that causes me fear of you. So the knowledge, fear of the unknown is a fool's fear, and love for someone you don't know, I just love them at first sight, it's great in Hollywood, but in practical life, that love, doesn't stand the chance of really the test of time and of living together two human beings with their incongruencies. So when we talk about the knowledge and we talk about it leading to feeling, then what's the difference with all your heart and with all your soul? They both need both the mind and the heart. And yet we said, no, love God with all your heart is primarily the emotions. Love God with all your soul is the intellect and the emotions. What is the difference? To understand this, I'm actually going to reflect upon a book called The Denial of Death, written by Ernest Becker. In this book, he wrote his book when he was terminally ill. Interesting story in his life. You can look it up. You can Google him, Wikipedia. But uh, Ernest Becker, when he found out that he was terminally ill, he wrote this book called The Denial of Death. And over there, he talks about something very interesting. He explains how only the human being has a dualism of the physical self and the symbolic self. Animals don't have the symbolic self. They only have the physical self. Animals cannot contemplate what other animals think about them. Animals cannot contemplate meaning and purpose to life. Animals, their intellect is stuck together with their physical self, which is eat, don't be eaten, procreate. Even the animals that deal with pleasure, it's all about self-pleasure. But to go ahead and have abstract thinking of higher intellect, of a symbolic self, only the humans have that. 
only the humans have that power of the frontal cortex to be able to think higher intellect. So there's the physical self in the human and there's the symbolic self. In the physical self, everything is driven about my physical being. Now, this physical being also, we get to the metaphysical of that which I love and that which I fear. And that's all driven on what I think will diminish or bring grandeur to me. Make me validated, make me liked, make me feel protected, make me feel I love the things that make me feel all of the above. I fear anyone and anything which diminishes anything of the above. I want to take it a step further. Even in our relationship with God, the love and the intellect of the physical self only loves God for God is my life. Love God, you God, for he is life. I love life. I'm afraid of death. And thus, when I realize that it's God that gives me back my soul every morning, I love God. So once again, it's all about the me. It's all about what feeds me. When we talk about understanding God, I appreciate God as the creator of the universe around me. Thus, we're talking about only the linear finite, which that can absorb. That is called love God with all your heart. It's all the lower intellects. And in the Kabbalah, we call that the intellects of the emotions. It's not an intellect for itself. It's only an intellect that will feed and drive the emotions. It is what my emotions are driving me to think. That's what causes the love and fear in the physical self. Now, however, there is also a higher concept, which is beyond the, the notion of the, of the um, physical self and loving God with all your heart. And, and I want to just make one more point about this. Loving God with all your heart, science has taught us so much. Science has taught us about feelings that they create chemicals. And these chemicals are what create certain different adrenaline or whatever it may be. So I want to just, you know, let's use the example. A person who is always stressed, always stressed, always stressed. These per this person has a higher level of adrenaline, cortisol, and norepinephrine. I might have said that wrong, sorry. Now, what happens is the minute the amygdala, the emotional part of the brain, it's constantly checking the blood levels. It's constantly checking the chemicals in our bloodstream. And the minute it sees that we lowered our homeostasis, it is going to drive us to think the thoughts that will bring back up. This is exactly why stressful people, when they're not stressed, they're stressed. Because they're driven to be stressed, because they're being driven by the lower intellect, the lower brain, the limbic and the reptilian brain, not the frontal cortex. It's being driven to consistently keep that balance of feelings. Not only that, even our body cells, we today know, opens up ports for this amount of chemicals. And when all of a sudden it changes, we just don't feel right. Our body cells have empty ports and they're not feeling right. And the amygdala is not feeling right. And it's driving our brain to think things. And that's why stressful people, when they're not stressed, they feel off. And it's the same with all other emotions. That's how physical self works. And even on the spiritual level, like I mentioned, my love for God is what God does for me. 
Now, let's go ahead and talk about another type of, of love. Okay? There is the higher love. <sighs> sorry. Then there is the, the higher love. I, I want to talk one more. I'm sorry. I'm going back again. I want to just mention one more thing about this lower love. You see, the beauty of the lower love it's got a minus. It's only about the self, the me. Everything revolves around the me, the obsession with self, the bondage of self. However, there is a beauty here. And what is that beauty? That beauty is that because it's the lower, it can permeate my entire being. In other words, I will practically behave in my daily life in accordance with my lower love not with my higher love. We'll see soon why not the higher love. But why, yes, the lower love is because it's about me. It's within my grasp. And thus, when I talk about I love you, God, because you wake me up in the morning refreshed, I go to sleep exhausted. I love you, God, because I see how you make sure I can cover my bills. I love you, God, because I see how many times you spare me the full consequences of my actions, my foolish actions. What that will do is, because it's so practical and tangible, what that will do is it will lead to me, okay, I love you, God, so I'm going to keep kosher. I love you, God, so I'm going to pray. I love you, God, so I'm going to keep Shabbat. Because the lower love connects with the rest of the body, and thus it's connected to my pragmatic life. However, there is the higher love. Let's talk about now the higher love, the symbolic self. Okay, we spoke about the lower love, dealing with the lower levels of the intellects, the one that focuses around the me. And the animal instinct, it's eat, don't be eaten, and procreate. To us, it's more than just eat and don't be eaten. It's about feel good, don't feel bad, and be powerful, and, and, and uh, you know, be self-sufficient. All that is part of the lower intellect. It's all a part of the limbic and the reptilian brain. And even the part of the frontal cortex that we use, we're just using it to help me make another dollar. We're not using it to really question what is meaning, what is purpose, what is God. However, there is also the higher understanding of intellects. The higher intellects, the higher human in the way we're creating the image of God is yearning for something beyond the bondage of self. It's yearning to understand purpose, meaning. It's yearning to understand the infinite circular light of God. We're not looking just to understand who God is, how he works, so I can figure out how to manipulate the system and get the blessings. If I do this mitzvah, I get this blessing, I'm going to do this mitzvah. This mitzvah, I don't get so much blessings. We'll skip that one. That's all lower. That's all the linear. But when we talk about a higher intellect where it's not about me and what I can get from being a good Jew, when we're talking about God, who is God? What is God? Not as my creator. God is God. What is the goodness of God unto God, not unto me? When we talk about understanding the circular, the infinite, when we step out of self, it doesn't have to be pragmatic. It can be abstract because God is infinitely abstract, not just finitely pragmatic. And when we can go ahead and have this understandings, when we can get beyond the linear way of thinking, but all of a sudden, we open ourselves up to the highest level of intellect, which is the circular thinking. It isn't just a divide and conquer. 
It isn't putting everything into perfect little boxes. It's letting go of that. It's understanding that there's something circular and infinite beyond. Something which is abstract to me, but it is truism. It is God. And thus I want to know. On that level, where the intellect opens up to the higher intellect, now we're loving God with all our soul. It's not just about me. It's not just about my revealed feelings. It's about even that which is beyond me and beyond my feelings. It's getting to see beyond the tip of your nose. It's getting out of the boundage of self. It's no more that I am the center of my universe. There's a God who's the center of the universe, and the universe isn't all that there is about him. This is a higher love. This is to love God with all your soul. However, there's a caveat here. The problem with the higher soul is, is because it's abstract, it doesn't connect with my practical daily life. When we get so abstract in understanding the infinitism of God, understanding beyond black mass, understanding that, that anything we understand by definition can't be God because God can't be understood. The infinite cannot be understood by the finite. To understand that we have to stop making little boxes and let go and just let ourselves fall into the infinite circular. That is too abstract for me then to say, and because God, you're so infinite, I'm going to keep kosher. There's that disconnect. Thus, the higher love is the true experience of love outside of self. But it's the lower love that can have me act upon it and make it practical in my daily life. So we now understand that there's love God with all your heart and there's love God with all your soul. Now when we talk about making a blessing, which is bringing the hidden into the revealed, bringing the abstract into the pragmatic, bringing the infinite into the finite, I now understand that when we make a blessing, we're looking to draw even the higher abstract power into the pragmatic. Imagine that you can connect both these loves together where the abstract allows you to feel infinite love but the pragmatic love allows you to make it practical. And because I infinitely love you, I'm going to do this for you. That's what a bracha is all about. To bring it min ha'olam ad ha'olam from the hidden abstract infinite world of myself into the revealed, finite, pragmatic side of myself. I love you so much that I just freeze. I'm in a trance. And then I can take that and make it pragmatic. Let me do something because I love you. Now, we can understand how does one bring the abstract into the pragmatic the infinite into the finite. <laughs> How does one put a circle into a box? So in Kabbalah, there's an answer. And the answer is that what you need to do is, if you have here two opposing antithetical things, the way you bring them together is by introducing something infinitely higher, which makes these two equalized. 
I wanted to give you a pra- practical example for this. It's a metaphor given in Hasidus. So when you have, for example, the minister of welfare, the minister of making sure that those who don't have are going to have, and then you have the other minister who his job is to be the minister of financing, to make sure that the king's, you know, the king's balance of finances is up. Now, these two are going to hate each other. They're going to be constantly fighting. He's fighting to put this into the budget, and he's fighting, no way, we can't put this into the budget, and yada, 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 yada. Hasidus says that when you have this two opposing, chesed and gvura, kindness and justice, when you have them arguing with each other, and all of a sudden in walks the king into the throne room. Being that they're both ministers to the king, they both become neutralized, they both become equalized, they both become humble, and they can work together. Because the presence of the infinitely greater equalizes what comes forth. So too it is with the soul. When you talk about the intellects, the emotions, two opposites, intellects is called kum collect, emotions are rampant, active, everything. And how do you bring those two together? How do you bring the infinite into the finite? The answer is the minute you reveal the pintalayid, the essence of the soul, all faculties are equalized. When you bring in the essence of the divine light, then the infinite ray and the finite ray are both equalized. They're both equal expressions of the essence of the light. The intellect and the emotions are both equal faculties of the essence, pintalayid, of the yid, of the soul. Thus, by introducing the infinitely greater, we combine the two lower. Now we understand what it means, don't read ma, but mea. The difference between ma and mea is an aleph. Aleph, which reaches the, which spells out the words pela, wondrous, in Kabbalah, this refers to the essence. Thus, what we have here is when you introduce the aleph into ma, it becomes mea. When you introduce the essence of the soul into the intellect and into the emotions, the essence of our beingness, then they become equalized and they work together. Let's talk about this a little bit more. When we talk about the written ma and we talk about the red mea, al-tikra ma elamea, don't read it as ma, it's written ma, but don't read it as ma, written, read it as mea. What is mea? A hundred in Kabbalah, the number hundreds represent the supernal crown. You have individual, the single numbers are the emotions, um, double digits, the tens are the, are the intellects, and the hundreds is the supernal crown. The supernal crown, by definition, the crown is circular. It's infinite. It's on top of the head. Thus, when we talk about mea, we're talking about a hundred, we're talking about the hidden world. We're talking about the ultimate experience of the infinite love of God, which is beyond the me, 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 me. It's truly letting go of this finite self, opening up to the circular experience of the infinite. And then the word ma, the word ma itself means what? That means humility. That represents in Kabbalah the lowest of the 
the, the faculties, which is called kingship, which is the receptor. Now we're saying Altikra Ma Elamea. Don't read Ma, but read Mea. What that means is by introducing the Aleph, by introducing the essence of our being into the intellect and into the emotions, thus at that point we'll be able to bring the Maya into the Ma, the infinite into the finite. Now, you know, as I'm talking here, I didn't put this in my notes, but my mind is racing here. I mean, what is this practically? Open up to the essence of self. What, what, what does that mean? You know, I'm going to use an example, and, and I'm shooting off the hip right now, not in my notes, because I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to grasp this practically. What does it mean to bring the essence into the faculties? When something is just, it's just, I stand to gain. I do stand to gain, and I want to figure out how to gain. This is important to me. That's one thing. What happens when it becomes, my life depends upon this? This is my life. You're not asking me to give up something. You're asking me to give up everything. When you're dealing with that pintalayid, when it's not just about understanding the parsha or not understanding the parsha, uh, feeling my prayers or not feeling my prayers. No, it's not about that. It's about my, my being. I am a Jew. That's who I am. It's not like you could take away my Judaism from me and then there's what's left. This is what I am. You know, when we hear about an attack, of course, every attack on any human being from the human race is horrific. But doesn't it pinch just a little bit harder? Like, oh, 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 in Israel? Oh, oh, it was a shul that was bombed? Why? Why? We're good, decent people. We hate, we hate acts of terror and murder and wrongness anywhere to anyone. But then there's a beingness. There's just something we feel when it's our family. It's something that's not logical. When you're asking me to save someone that was in trouble, okay, that's one thing. But now tell me it's my son in trouble. Whoa, 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 whoa. You understand how the essence gets involved here? It's not just how smart I am or how big my heart is. This is now the essence of my being. We're talking about my child here. We're talking about my family. We're talking about someone I love. That's what I mean when we say bring the essence into it. Don't just make it about God, what can you do for me, and how can I manipulate God through his commandments because he promised me blessings. Don't even make it about how infinite God is. Make it about the pintalayid, that piece of God within me, where God is family. God is the essence being of my family, of who I am. Let's go further then. And now we understand what it means to introduce the Aleph, if we're just going to have hidden, infinite abstract, the intellects, and we're going to have the revealed, which is the finite, and the permeating, and that which is the emotions. And they're both going to be different, playing at different games. But once you introduce the Aleph, the Pintalayid, we're talking about my family, we're talking about me, we're talking about my God, my people, my land. All of a sudden, they work together. All of a sudden, that infinite passion, which creates paralysis, all of a sudden creates pragmatic work.
because now we introduce the essence. This is that third love, Bechol Me'odecha, with all your might, which leads us to the question, if that's what it is, the Aleph, the Pintaliyid, the making it super personal, that it's, it, it, it is who I am. Don't make it sound like we're just arguing over something abstract. This is my people we're talking about. This is my land we're talking about. All of a sudden we have this understanding of with all the might, why isn't it in our Torah portion? Why was it only in last week's Torah portion? How come in this week it only says love God with all your heart, with all your soul? It doesn't say with all your might. If with all your might is so important. To understand this, we're going to go to a teaching in the Medrash. Remember the verse I quoted to you, it starts with the word ve'ata, and now, O Israel. What is this word, and now? So the Medrash, the Medrash says that wherever it says the word ve'ata, and now, it is the experience of doing teshuva. Teshuva is repentance return. Repentance return is self-sacrifice. When we talk about the love of Bechol Me'odecha in last week's Torah portion, the answer is that what does it mean, love God with all your might? It means absolute self-sacrifice. I love God so much to the point where I'm willing to sacrifice it all for God. That's Bechol Me'odecha. Teshuva is self-sacrifice. Now question. If so, why does it say the word viato, meaning teshuva? Why doesn't it simply say love God with all your might, which means love God to the point of self-sacrifice? And the answer is amazing. The answer is because love, the love of Yechida, the love, no matter how great it is, to the point where I'm willing to sacrifice it all for my love, at the heart of it all is love, which means I feel. There's a feeling. Feeling is about me. I love you to the point where I'll die for you. That sentence started with the word I. When we have the love of Bechom Odecha, even the love of the Pintalayid, if it's love, it's a feeling. If it's a feeling, then I'm conscious of my presence and my feelings. It's not total, total self-abnegation. It's not the total freedom of the bondage of self. But when we talk about our second portion, our second portion is not talking about loving God. It's talking about serving God. The verse says, to love God your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. We're talking about action here. We're not talking about loving God where, um, theoretically speaking, I would... Give my life for God. No, no, no. We're talking about right now, do it or don't do it. We're talking about action, not about the experience of love where I theoretically, hypothetically can experience what it would mean to love God, to die for Him. We're talking about action to do or not to do. We're talking about do I take this dream job, but I have to work on Shabbat? Or do I say, no, I'm not going to take this dream job, even though all my life that's all I wanted was this dream job, but i got to say no because I can't work on Shabbat. It's no more about love. It's about action. It's about practical. Do you know the only thing that would ever help you make that decision? That I am not going to take my dream job, the dream deal of my life because it's on Shabbat. Loving God isn't going to work. Kabbalah and Hasidah says the only thing is this concept. 
it can be no other way. Not because I love God, not because I don't love God. It can't be any other way. That notion has nothing to do with my feelings. It's about this is God's will, and therefore it can be no other way. That's not about love. That's about total self-abnegation. That is Teshuvah. Teshuvah is not about my love for God. Teshuvah is about God's will. Thy will be done. It can be no other way. Thus, in our Torah portion where it talks about action, we talk about the ultimate experience of mah. Mah, what? Is total self-abnegation. It is total transparency. It is total humility. Not, all, not even the feeling of love for God can exist there. It's above and beyond loving God. Loving God means I, God, I love God. There is no I in the equation here. The Atta, true Teshuva, true letting go of me and falling into the infinity, the infinity of God. That is not just about love. Love won't take me there. There's a step higher than the love of my soul, and that is the essence of my soul, to be or not to be, not to feel or not to feel. The peace of my soul, that essence, which is truly a peace of God, in that realm, it can be no other way. And thus we now understand, when we can have the experience of mah, when we can have the true humility, the true self-abnegation of what? It can be no other way but thy will be done. And that allows us to bring in the Aleph, the Pintalayid. And when we bring in the Aleph, the Pintalayid, we now turn Ma, what? Into Maya, 100. And then we take it to the next experience where we don't get paralyzed in the wow infinity, but we can take that wow infinity love and bring it into pragmatical, pragmatic actions. I infinitely love you, God. I infinitely love you because you are God, the essence of my being. And thus, I'm not going to just be here paralyzed. Oh my God, I, I am so lost in you, God. No, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to help one of your children. I'm going to reach out to someone. I'm going to make a difference in your world. I'm going to study some Torah. I'm going to do a prayer. I'm going to keep Shabbat. I'm going to light my candles. Why? Because I infinitely love God. But one second, if you infinitely love God, then you're in a state of paralysis. You're, <gasps> no. Because it's about the essence being. I don't get paralyzed by my infinity. I bring it into hardcore action. I'm going to do something for Israel. Not just be infinitely lost in my love for Israel. I'm going to do something for my people. I'm going to do something for God. And in closing. So in closing, let's go back to the freedom of bondage of self, practically speaking. The freedom to feel and experience the truest love with God, with self, with other, is to be able to free our minds from the bondage of self. It is to truly be able to contemplate that which may seem abstract to us which will release us from obsessing only about ourselves. Now, this class, I'm going to do something specific. On a practical level, here are some suggestions in order to be able to slowly evolve and experience a love free of the bondage of self. I want to put out there three suggestions 
how to be able to free ourselves of the bondage of self, the obsession of self, to be able to experience true love. Number one, do every day a hidden act of kindness. If anyone finds out what you did, then we need to do another hidden act of kindness. This could be anything. This could be from giving someone money that's standing on the side of the 95. It can be whatever it may be. It could be calling up someone, just knowing that they're in a bad mood, being present for them. But you don't get to tell anyone, oh, what I did today. Oh, yeah, I did that. Or you even make it sound like I'm not really saying it, but I'm saying it. No jokes. It's got to be abstract. It's got to be hidden if you want to get out of the boundage of self. Number two, take interest in something that means nothing to you, but means something to someone you care about. Whether it's participating by going with them or taking a class with them. However, we can never use this as a you owe me one or it doesn't count. You know good and well that there's something that the person you love or care about likes that you're like, huh, huh. Whether it be shopping for a man or sports for a woman. I know I'm being, uh, you know, very uh, categorical. There are women that love the sports and there are men that love shopping. But just generally speaking, take an interest in something that you have no interest in, but the one you care about has interest in. And you never get to tell that person, well, I went with you there, so you should come with me here. No, that doesn't count. It's got to be pure. Last, last suggestion. Pray for someone else without their ever knowing about it. You hear, you overhear a conversation where there's going on something between your friend and her husband. Pray for them. Don't even tell them. You overhear that there's bills, problems, and pray for them, but don't even tell them. And pray, pray like you really mean it. That's an abstract. These actions are our Houdini tricks of getting out of our bondage of self, which ultimately allows us to experience true love for another. People have a wonderful Shabbat.